Welcome back to the Venturing Out Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Fontaine. We're joined again by Jared and Krista Medulla, co-founders of the platform Taste Buddy. If you haven't listened to their first episode yet, we encourage you to do so. And in that episode, we hear the origin story of Taste Buddy. And in this episode, we begin diving into the logistics and business components of Taste Buddy. Everybody, welcome back and welcome back, Kristen and Jared. So I guess we can transition into the business model for Taste Buddy. My understanding is you don't require any upfront cost to to begin selling on Taste Buddy, but there is a back end transaction fee. I'm just trying to understand how how Taste Buddy is making money. Sure, and that's that was one of our biggest things. Jared and I, you know, we're we're very mm-hmm. big into helping. So our, you know, the very first thing is we can't we can't make people pay for this. This isn't yeah. trying to help them, right? So, so it's completely free to join, um, but yeah, to consistently um, take care or help take care of our taste buddies, mm-hmm. what we're calling them, uh, we, we do need to collect, um, you know, something. So we do, we have a transaction fee. So per transaction um, that is made, uh, you know, a small fee is taken out for taste buddy. Um, and that's it. You know, once taste buddy does go, you know, to whatever a level that we, we feel mm-hmm. comfortable there may be a, a, a position where we adjust to more of a subscription model, but we want our, our sellers to get up and running. We want people to get their businesses up without having to incur any costs up front yeah. um, before we sort of transition to that, that model. And we interviewed a ton of people and, and the main- For the payment process. Yeah, for the payment processing side and until we found the, the people who are on the same, you know, same- ideas as us as, as helping people mm-hmm. and they were able to come in at a really great cost and they they too believe in the American dream and and helping people out and so it was cool to get to go back and forth and we knew as soon as they started talking in that yeah that way that we had found the, the right, right people and that's sort know. of taste buddy's yeah. mentality everybody that we partner with or or that's involved in taste buddy will have the same sort of vision and and values of, of that. So, yeah. And I, and I think that's important too. I, I think I remember you guys having that conversation, um, but subscription costs are often a barrier for a lot of people. And when you think of who's actually using taste buddy, these small at home artisans, um, if they're not doing volume, I mean, there's no reason to pay a subscription cost. If they've got two or three orders coming in a month, I mean, even if it's $15, $20 a month, that's non-justifiable for them. So if it's on it, it's a lot. It and is. if it's a per transaction basis to where they're only paying for when they actually receive revenue, I mean, it, that is a much friendlier model than a subscription-based model. And But that doesn't, again, as you had said, you could transition to something different later. But I... I agree with you. I think what you guys are doing right now is probably the friendliest for the most people. That's yeah. great. That's great to hear. We're, we're, uh, that's our, again, our model, our vision to, to be that way. So um, I think we'll be that way uh, for, for a while, for sure. So you had talked about giving your, your taste buddies property um, or, or giving them uh I mean, you've given them a platform, but besides the mobile application, what other services do you offer your taste buddies? Well, um, there, there are a lot. Um, and I think that there are a lot 
to come to there. We have a, a very large vision for, for taste buddy and our, our sellers and what we're mm-hmm. going to do to help them succeed. Um, but right off the bat, yeah, you know, as we mentioned, it, it's, you know, um, an app for both, uh, the seller side and also for the buyers. So the buyers will have an app, the sellers will have an app where it's more of a business manager model. Um, they also have access, you know, to their, their, their tablets, their iPads, mm-hmm. web, um, but they're going to have the ability to, um, have all the tools and resources that they need to succeed within their restaurant. They're like Jared said, they're going to have analytics and reporting, but it's not just your general, you know, this is how many sales that I had for the, the day or the week or the month. It's going to get down to, Hey, you know, Jared's selling his sauce and his pizza. And those are his two menu items. Um, he has, we're going to be able to show them that he had a hundred people visit his site today, but 50 went to his sauce to look at it. 50 went to his pizza, but everybody that went to order something, they Mm -hmm. only ordered the pizza and only 20 people ordered the pizza. Why didn't anybody order the sauce? Is it because the picture on the website is, is potentially not the best picture? Is the cost a little too high? What are some of those things that could potentially be the reason for you not selling your items? Those are the mm-hmm. kinds of, um, you know, reporting functionalities and capabilities that we're going to be able to provide to the sellers. Again, we're here for them. We want them to succeed. We want them to get the most value. Um, they'll be able to sell, you know, sort of their, their food or product merchandise that they have. Um, they're going to be able to ship their food, um, depending on, you know, uh, where they're cooking their food, whether it's in their home, which is considered cottage um, mm-hmm. laws that they have to the follow or in a commercial kitchen. A lot of these sellers will be able to, to ship their food across, you know, eventually the, the, the world. But for now within the US, um, they'll be able to set their own radiuses of some people just want to be able to provide this for 20 mile radius. Mm-hmm. Some people might want to provide it for the whole United States. You know, so those sort of um, granular functionalities that they'll be able to customize uh, uh, is, is going to be extremely valuable. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then to come, uh, you know, I think that we'll have some some taste buddy kitchens, commercial kitchens available for the taste buddies that they'll be able to cook or, or sort of graduate to if they if they want. Um, we'll, we'll open up potentially some taste buddy uh, restaurants where it will be like a community, a place where people can have things delivered. So although, you know, this is, this is a way for people to get everybody to get the food that they want anytime they want. Um, if people still want to, you know, meet at a restaurant or still, you know, meet friends or family, they'll have a spot that they can do it at without having to actually order something. Um, so things like that, you know, there, there are going to be a lot of. Yeah. It's basically like a world market where you take the man out so it can now go from farm to table. Um, you know, as much as anybody wants to, if, if there's a grandma that's wanting to make some extra money, she's retired and she's really good at growing a garden and she wants to grow like the, the white eggplant instead of the purple eggplant, you know, and mm-hmm. like now she can do that and go sell it and, you know, yeah. extra, extra money. I mean, the options are endless, you know? Yeah. I, lo- I love the vision of taking Taste Buddy from an at-home concept to graduating it to a commercial kitchen to then providing like a space for Taste Buddies to come and share and and you know sell whatever they're selling outside of the home. But one thing that you had mentioned, you had started talking about cottage laws and 
what case buddies are able to ship and where. And so as much as we try to serve the sellers, you've got to protect your buyers as well. So how do you monitor what sellers are selling on your platform? Are there any type of, I mean, what's the legal behind it? What's the security? How do you monitor what sellers are selling? Yeah, that's a great question and, and a very important one. Um, we have uh, done our due diligence with that, and that's a very important thing for us. We don't want somebody just selling food out of their bathtubs, or yeah. you know, it's 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 important to protect our consumers and and also our sellers. So, um, we have a team of FDA attorneys that uh, that have guided us and supported us through this journey, and um, have put together some a, a really good process in making sure that we vet out. Um, the sellers that come on board. So there will be some steps if, if somebody wants to become a seller that they're going to have to um, complete They're you know, it's nothing intense, but they will have to fill out, you know, what, what exactly they're, they're wanting to sell. Um, they'll have to provide the necessary certificates and food handlers um, licenses that pertain mm -hmm. to exactly what they're where they're cooking and um, what they're cooking. And they'll have to kind of go through a little bit of a, a checklist and, and make sure that they're, what they're selling is, is sort of legal. Um, and, and before they can actually make their, their store, their Taste Buddy store go live, um, we'll have a team um, mm -hmm. of, of sort of experts in the back end checking and, and confirming that these licenses are real and making sure that what they're uploading, you know, they have to upload their menu and provide those, those details prior to going live on taste buddy. So we have a whole team, um, that will support in, uh, you know, making sure that that information is correct and accurate. And then we'll also have, um, a team that will go out and, and sort of act as not necessarily inspectors, but just sort of our taste buddy eyes. And they'll, they'll order this food and make sure that it's, you know, it's going out correctly and um, that it really is what people are ordering. They'll sort of maybe do um, some, some house checks or commercial kitchen checks. And again, just anything else that's in the food industry. Now you have those sort of serve safe, you know, inspectors that come in and mm -hmm. check the kitchen and, and the, you know, the front of the house. And so we're going to, we're going to have those measures still in place. Um, but we'll be consistently, we'll have, a, I think that team will probably be one of our larger teams of taste buddy is making sure that you know, the, these items are correct and, and what people are entering is, is, is correct. Um, one of the most challenging things that we've had though, is certainly, you know, learning and, and trying to read on, on those cottage laws, every county, every state, every city has different cottage laws. And although we've been strongly advised not to, um, give people advice on that, um, it's still there, right? We still want to make sure that our sellers are set up for success and that they know mm -hmm. those, those laws. So, um, but yeah, the industry that that sort of industry cottage industry hasn't changed since 2017. So it's, it's about to change, you know, people are going to have to, that's where the world is. It's very digital. It's very different. So we're, we're shaking things up a bit and, um, we're pretty certain that we'll have, uh, that industry changed and those laws changed quite a bit. What's funny is most people who have come to us that are already jumping on board to sell their products, they already have everything that is that is legally needed for them to sell their craft. So they're they're not right. messing around. They're serious people, and that's what this is for. You know, is 
And most people know, like, you know, if you're trying to sell your food and it's very, I don't want to say it's, it's a, just this crazy process, but again, you know, all they have to do is look up the, the laws within their County and it, it lays them out very clearly for them, what they can and can't sell and, and how they, how to do it. And then we require, they have to take certain courses before they can uh, oh, wow. study. Yeah. They, they need to have their food handler certification. And if they're running an, a commercial kitchen, they have to provide their, their permits and uh, managers cert- certificates and things like that. So anything you would normally have to do within a restaurant to sell your food, it's the same thing, but we will require them to provide that info. Very interesting. Um, from my perspective, the, on the consumer end, I would have never thought of any of that. Right. And it's probably incredibly important that you've come from the restaurant industry and you've been a restaurant creative um, and you've got a lot of expertise and context into this field. Um, I'm curious, you had mentioned 2017, what happened in 2017 and why haven't cottage laws changed since then? That's a great question. I think that nothing, you know, it's just stayed consistent. It hasn't been, you know, sort of this, this important topic, right? Not many Mm -hmm. people are doing it because there just isn't a way to do it. They just, it's word of mouth. You know, I'm not sure how many times you, you, you know, somebody's come knocking on your door. I sell tamales or I sell, you know, whatever. And they're amazing, but you've, nobody's ever, I don't think really thought about that process of actually, Hey, yeah. how can they sell that? So, um, you know, it, we're, we're, we're certainly going to disrupt the market with this. And I think that the, the laws will, will start to change from it. I think they are anyway, just from all the stuff that happened with COVID. And so I think they were leaning towards that, that sort of disrupted it a lot. Um, mm. But yeah, I think maybe just there just wasn't a need to change it. I don't right. know. Yeah, that's the thing is, is COVID really opened up everybody's eyes and everybody had to start buying things differently and, mm-hmm. and find new ways to make money. And that's where the the light clicked on with uh, everybody who sets the rules, you know, and even the FDA attorneys that we talked to said that this is a game changer because it is forcing people to think differently. And mm-hmm. it's just everything's just kind of on time, you know. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So you had already talked about your vision, more or less, for for Taste Buddy, or at least the progression of it. Um, but as we transition into kind of our, our broader topics, I mean, you look five, ten years into the future. What are your goals with Taste Buddy? Where, where do you see Taste Buddy being? Yeah, it's tough. You know, five and it, things change so quickly that looking five, ten years down the the road is, I feel like at this point, a little bit unrealistic because the market changes so quickly, but, you know, at at that point, we definitely want taste buddy to be, you know, international. We want taste buddy to be, you know, the platform, um, that, that everybody has to go to, to sell any sort of homemade, unique, authentic items. Mm -hmm. So we definitely want to, you know, as far as a business perspective, you know, be at the point where, you know, this is something that we, we certainly want to take public and, and just grow uh, significantly, but we want it to be also, again, a, a consumer and seller market. We don't want it to be this. We don't want the actual business of Taste Buddy to take over. It is for the people. And mm-hmm. we'll, that, that is, those are our values. Um, this is a place where people can succeed and, and we're going to work for them. Um, so, you know, again, as we mentioned, you know, innovative ideas like Taste Buddy kitchens everywhere across the, the, the nation and, you know, Taste Buddy restaurants and um, again. Music festivals. Yeah. We're going to be doing festivals. nothing better than combining great food with great music. <laughs> and um, a lot of this, you know, we want to give back. And so we want to try to 
uh, you know, fix uh, the problem in, in the United States with everybody who goes to bed hungry at night. Mm -hmm. So a big, that's going to be a big focus on what we do with taste buddy is, is giving back and trying to help the hunger issue. Yeah, that'll be a big uh, focus for, for taste buddy is the helping the communities. And again, it's focused on, on the local, you mm -hmm. know, home marketplace. So anything that we can do to support sort of, you know, local communities and establishments, I mean, that'll be, a, that's really the main thing is, is really just to help people. So help as many people as we can in the next 15 years. Yeah. I'm sure that was the answer that you were looking for. But. No, I mean, it, it's very, <laughs> it's very admirable. Um, you know, I, so I've seen startups grow and as you had talked about your sole purpose and focus is serving the community and serving others. Um, and it's incredibly difficult to maintain that vision as you grow because you add bureaucracy, there are different levels, there's a new hierarchy, you've got different challenges. Um, so how, do, from your perspective right now in 2021, how do you see you two handling that and managing the delicate balance between becoming large enough to where you have to operationally turn your focus elsewhere, but continue to serve your sellers. I don't know how to do it. That's, that's tough. And I think it's tough for a lot of people, but I think one of the things that we, that of, of how we got started was within that, that mindset and that foundation. Mm -hmm. So we build our team from the ground up, you know, our foundation starts with that then it's, it's very difficult to break that foundation. You know what I mean? So if you start that way and your whole team is based off of those values and, and that mindset, then I think it makes it a little bit easier. I, you know, yeah. it, I'm not sure we haven't done this yet, um, but that's certainly, those are the people that, that are going to be on as part of our team. They're going to understand that, you know, this is, there's one purpose and the purpose is to help people and the purpose mm -hmm. is to continue to help people and, and drive you know, results and revenue for those people. And with that, you know, this is sort of something that I strongly believe is when you, if you take care of your people, um, that it, it just, it will automatically happen. You will be taken care of, but the focus needs to be on, on other people and your people um, first. We kind of, we both come from an old school kind of mindset in the uh, customer service world. And um, you know, we, we constantly have experiences all the time where, and I'm not going to name any names, but I did a, a food delivery thing for the first time uh, a few months ago. And it was the last time I did it a few months ago. Um, it was too overpriced and it was, it was sad to me to, to experience that, to just want to get food for my family and then have to pay so much more. And it's not right. With us, that's not okay. And it's not and, even the price, I think. It was the experience. Well, it's it the experience, like, too. But, I mean, when you it. up at 30%, 33% to have an experience, I don't feel like that's okay. And and so, and, and plus, with the old school customer service, um, you know, we talk to robots a lot nowadays, you know, and and, uh, and it's hard to get somebody on the phone that, that understands what you need. And so, that's where a lot of our... That's where we hope everything goes. That's where our focus is going to be on is taking care of that. Oh, and we didn't even talk about drones. You know, we're going to be getting into the drone <laughs> drone uh, world <laughs> as well. You know, when you say robot, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but back to that, you bring up a good point. It's it's the need, right? It's it's figuring out 
And that's, that's when we talk to our sellers, it's, it's not, Hey, welcome to taste buddy, have fun and, and let us know what you need. It's we interview them. We help them. Mm-hmm. What is it that your goal is? What do you want to do? What do you want to get out of this? What are you struggling with? Um, and that's going to, that's the differentiator. And that's, what's going to separate that whole mentality of when you get to that, that, that busier, higher place as a business, you're still going to have those core values of, you know, what, what are you trying to solve? What are you trying to help? What do people need? Um, and that's what our, again, foundation and our people, our company will always live by. We get a kick out of watching people succeed. Mm-hmm. Our friends, when they do good, I mean, it just really makes us feel good to see others do good. And so we we want to really do that with as many people as we can. And I think yeah, that's the know. true meaning to success, right? Watching somebody else be great. I mean, I think what you guys have is a great deal of intrinsic motivation. Um, and I think that's incredibly important for passion and vision as you continue forward. But retrospectively, looking at where you've come from and where you are now, uh, this is important to talk about. And sometimes it can be painful for entrepreneurs to talk about challenges, but because you've overcome them, so many entrepreneurs face the same types of challenges. So uh, what are some of your, your most enduring challenges and how did you overcome those in Taste Buddy? That's, I think they will always be, but I think we've had a lot of challenges. Um, you know, I think, I think from, from the get-go, like for me, especially, I, I feel like one of the biggest challenges was that I had to all of a sudden be an expert at everything, right? It was, it was, I had bef- before I could hire the experts, which we, everybody knows, like you're not an expert at everything, but when you're a startup and you don't have your team yet, you know, all of a sudden have to know everything about HR, everything about finances, everything about social media, which is me, I know nothing, uh, you know, everything about marketing, you know, it's just, it can become overwhelming. And I think that's a lot of the, the, um, the downside to why people don't, don't pursue this is they just don't have that team. And they say, I just don't know how to do it. Or I just don't like, how am I going to know how to do that? How am I going to, you know, all of a sudden Jared and I had to like, not really, but our attorneys would probably kill us for saying this, but we had to be attorneys. Like we had to know how to read document. Like it's just, it's a lot. And so that was a big challenge. And, you know, one thing that we just said to ourselves from the beginning was, you know, for when everything is temporary, right. It's just temporary. Um, but there's always a way. So we just utilized our resources, called friends, called whatever we could do until we could gradually financially be able to, um, pursue hiring those experts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was also a, a opening because it, it gave us, I think a lot of respect for our team members that we hired. We, we knew not really, cause we were just flying by the seat of our pants, but we knew kind of what their role was and what they were going to have to do. And, um, so that too, and then on that same topic, finding those experts, mm-hmm. you know, you, you interview so many people and you don't know until you hire them and until they do the job. And we've gone through, you know, some, some marketing companies till we finally found, you know, what we hope is, is our partner. We've gone through development companies. Um, those are painful processes because they, they delay things. They, you know, they, they can cause, you know, ruckus. Um, so it's just, those were sort of my high pain points. Um, well, and there was, you know, there was a lot of, I want to say a lot, but there, there are tears shed in the past of experiences from years back that the roads are never easy. You know, mm-hmm. they're always tough, but when they're tough, that's when you're learning something. And I watched her grow 
and learn things and have to be put in bad positions in order to grow wisdom to get to this point to where, where we are, you know, so um, it's never fun going through that. But once you get to a point where you can kind of start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you appreciate it more and it, and it grows you as a, as a human, Yeah, you know? And, and so it's, cause it's really easy when we first started doing this, it was like, we knew what we needed to do and we could sit there and look at the people we needed to hire, but then you have your budget and all you have to work with and you're like, okay, <laughs> how do we do this to where we can eventually get those people we need to get? Yeah. You know? So the lessons, you know, were again, um, just knowing that that spot is, is temporary. That was a big lesson. I think at the, when you're in the moment, you're like, okay, this is, you know, potentially not going to happen or whatever, but mm -hmm. it's just that it's just like anything else in life, right? You just have to get over that, that sort of that hump, that challenge, um, you know, confront it. Don't, don't give up on it. Um, and everything's sort of fixable. Right. And lots of lots of prayers. The prayers <laughs> helped more than anything. Of course. Yeah. But but you know, I, I think that struggle is so important. Like I I've always said being an entrepreneur or trying to start something, whether it be a student organization or a business or whatever it may be, like that is one of the best learning experiences you can have. And for the pure purpose or, or the reason that you said you were having to wear so many hats at the same time. I mean, you had to teach yourself about marketing. You had to learn about legal. You had to do uh, work with dev teams. And so you probably know more about development than most people right now. And like that's such a great experience. And it's so unique to what, what you're doing that I just don't think many people understand. Um, I gave a talk couple couple months ago about being comfortable being uncomfortable and and so I've been a high school basketball referee for three years now officiated since I was 15 but I remember stepping onto my first court my first basketball court and it was terrifying uh yeah I didn't know what to do and there were 100 parents that yelled at me for 40 minutes <laughs> and and I mean but like every, every time you've taken that step to the next level, like you feel uncomfortable, but you know how much better you are. And so, I mean, I hear from entrepreneurs that, that they're terrified all the time, like that they're yeah. purely scared. And it it's, it, bad. it's, it's awful. No, it's awful, but it's also such a great thing because you know that they're going to struggle through it and, and they'll, be better because of it. I mean, I think the struggle is great, truthfully. I, you know, you're hundred percent right. And, and you're, you're exactly right when you say it's awful, but I, I totally agree. If that's something that's that you can do as early on as possible um, and mm -hmm. learn from that early, it will set you up, um, you know, to not have those, those doubtful and scared moments in the future. I, you know, it's, it's, it's important. I think, you know, we have, um, I guess mentor type people that we talk to that have become very successful in their businesses that they chose. And, uh, and that's the one thing straight across the board that everybody always says, no matter what level you get to, there is always an uncomfortableness. It, that thing never changes. You know, the more you grow, the more uncomfortable you're going to be. And, um, you know, so I think we just, 
get used to it and <laughs> and it's normal and smile you know, I think and go it's too, if everybody knows that like truly everybody goes through it at some point it's like a normal thing then i think people would feel more comfortable you know yeah. what i mean but yeah it's uh there, there's always somebody to talk to, right? There's always somebody to, that will help you or guide you along the way. And it's just finding a bunch of those people that have your back too. Um, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and speaking of money and not trying to change the subject, but that's <laughs> another thing about Taste Buddy is, you know, you have all these big corporate, you know, restaurants that pay all this big money to cover up everybody else who gets searched for certain types of food, you know? And uh, if you search for a steak, you're going to get some food chain that pops up at the top of the list. And potentially paid a lot of money. To yeah, get there. yeah. And and with Taste Buddy, like it's all it's all based off of you know reviews and truth. To where if your food's good, you're going to sell it. If mm-hmm. you know if your food's bad, you may need to go tweak it. You yeah, know? we'll help you tweak it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, now I mean, if you're talking about search engine results. I mean, now we're getting into search engine optimization and a lot of the tech back in. I mean, exactly what you had said, Jared, they have more capital and more access to resources to place ads and impression rates and um, to be the top of whatever list or whatever search engine you may, you may be on. I mean, yeah, you're right. If I search steak, I'm pretty sure the first thing that comes up would be like Outback Steakhouse, which is a mile down the road for me. Right. Um, I mean, and it, it becomes a technical issue as well. And so maybe this will lead into the rollout process for you guys. But um, I understand that you've got beta testers coming on now. And so you've got your first group of taste buddies. Where are you at with the rollout process? How is it? What What's working well? What's not? Yeah. So it's, you know, the rollout process, I feel like will will go on forever. You know, it's never, mm-hmm. it's never complete, you know, and I think that was another challenge that we had to finally put our foot down and say, okay, it's never going to be complete right off the bat. Um, so, you know, we've had our beta testers for several months now. Um, and when we had to sort of transition and pivot and, and graduate, uh, so to speak to a, a another development company, um, you know, that, that has sort of been, uh, the process right now that that's been not necessarily put on hold, but as we've transitioned, you know, um, they, they have sort of just been on the background supporting taste buddy. So that's been fortunate. Um, but the rollout process has been great. You know, the testing, that's the fun part, right. Testing everything, seeing it come, you know, to fruition and seeing it all work. And, um, but it's also the frustrating part because that's when you say, we should have done this or, oh man, if we do this, this will be great. Um, and so then you, you know, telling our developers that, you know, as, as you're mm-hmm. going through these sprints and the, the process on the development side, they're in go mode. So it's, it's tough to stop them and say, Hey, what if we include this functionality or feature or, or whatever? And then they have to evaluate it. And so that whole process is, is pretty intense and pretty crazy, crazier than I ever thought, to be honest. And I come from that industry of, um, you know, of somebody having to develop a solution and, but I'd never been, you know, embedded in it. Um, so there's a lot of, of teams involved in capturing, you know, the information that, that everything entails every single little piece, you know, and it's things that you don't think about, like, you know, the color of a button and that just every little thing counts. Um, so that process has been a little crazy. So <laughs> just say that. <laughs> 
Um, but it's been fun. It's been a great learning experience and we're in a very, very, very great spot that we, you know, we originally didn't think we'd be in, but I think that we, we thought that we would launch, you know, several months ago. And, um, so what we've been told by some of the experts Mm -hmm. is that always happens. You always Mm -hmm. think you're going to launch way before you do. Um, and then things happen, not necessarily bad things, but, but, you know, newer things that you didn't think about before. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't realize how many times we would say, like, you think that you'd have one feature completed. And then I think we've gone into every single one of them about 50 more times. Like I thought wow. it was completed. They, then you just think of something else and you're like, whoa, we, none, none of us thought of that. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's just been crazy, um, but super fun. Um, we've loved every second of it. Again, there are challenges that you just have to overcome, but, um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Different experience, Jared. What's that? A di- <laughs> different, different experience. Yeah, it's no. Yeah, it's been words. the same. I just, you know, I can't help but keep thinking about the last conversation about wearing different hats. And yeah. with our last app company, like Kristen, literally, uh, there was a position missing. Like we were needing somebody to fill out this position to get things organized yeah. and do all these other things. And so when we go, you know, start working with this new app company, they literally have a person getting paid a yearly salary that does exactly what Kristen was doing with the last. Let's say trying to do. No, <laughs> no, that's, she was kicking its tail, um, but, you know. But that brings up a point too, you know, when you're, when you're in startup mode, you do what you can with what you have, right? Yep. It's the budget that you have. And you just, you make it happen and you make it work. And so thankfully we were in a position where we could get out of that sort of startup, um, you know, development mentality and and get to a place um, where it's, you know, I think at the very beginning when we were interviewing development companies, we were talking to the ones that do Sony and Adidas and all those big companies. And we had high hopes and I I didn't stop. I'm like, okay, we're going to find one that can fit our budget. Um, and you know, it just couldn't at the time. So, um, we finally had one that, that referenced somebody else that could help. So, um, my point of that is, is that I think that if you just, you do what you can with what you have, but know that it's, you're going to graduate to a different level. You're going to, um, get to the point where you can actually grow, um, to a new level. And that's what we did in the middle of development. Thankfully, thankfully we, we were able to have a product that, people could actually see and it wasn't live yet um, that allowed us to be able to, um, you know, bring on a, a, a team that could handle um, more of the, the day-to-day, you know, operations. And so that was a, that was a, a pivot to like, that was a moment of like, for us success, like, mm-hmm. okay, we went through all that work of trying to do it ourselves and be these experts and support this sort of smaller development team. Um, and, and now we get to see that work um, be completed and, and really the experts, uh, finalize it. And that was, that was fun. We, you appreciate it more yeah. when it happens yeah. that way, you know, yeah. like you really appreciate everybody's job and every little thing they're doing because we've almost had to do it one time or another, but you, you know? don't know it until you do it. Right. When we hired, when we hired this, this original development team, you know, we didn't realize that resources were, were um, there were going to be some lack of, of resources on their end. So you don't know that until you're into it. And so that's what I was talking about, like trying to become an, an expert at that process of, of, de- of a de- a development team was 
was tough. I'm like, I don't, you know, I, w- I was just yeah. the account manager in a development company. I wasn't the developer. So I don't, <laughs> so anyway, um, but it was fun. We laughed a lot. We, we probably, I, I don't want to say we, I may have cried a, a little bit. <laughs> it <was awesome. laughs> and, it's, and it's funny because we've all been there, you know, where you, yeah. when you get those levels, it just feels like it just is going to last forever. There's yeah. never an end to it. But then all of a sudden when you've, it's only temporary. Yeah. It's only temporary. Yeah. I mean, but isn't startup mode so much fun? Oh, like, come on, the the thrill—it's it exhilarating, but it's yeah. also incredibly painful. Because, well, I mean, I I think being an entrepreneur and going through, quite frankly, like this emotional roller coaster that is starting up. I mean, it's a lot like sales. You get it. You get it, Kristen. Like, you you can't celebrate as much as you'd like your highest highs because you know that you'll have a low and, <laughs> and and you can't you can't worry about your low because you you want to hope that you're on your way up to your high i mean truthfully like being an entrepreneur is standing at the highest of mountains and then the next day you're crawling through a muddy trench that is like, so it is funny. yeah i mean it, it's the same thing but I, I admire entrepreneurs so much because they have the resiliency to endure both of those. Not that it's hard to endure while you're up on the top of Mount Everest, but um, the fact that you're all like that, I don't know, that next challenge is always lingering around the corner and you don't know what it is. It's going to jump out at you at whatever random moment. Um, You may get, gosh, I remember over the summer, (laughs) there was one week where we were just waiting for a call from an attorney and we were like, oh shoot what like when's it coming what's going to happen um and so very very interesting you you talked about your experience with software development and um so we can breeze breeze over that everybody has a different experience with dev um and you've got more of a background in dev than i do but again you you know where i worked over the summer and Mm -hmm. how capable those guys are and it it is odd like we worked with a group from austin and I was, I was point on that project. And I mean, it was like something changed every single day. Like I, I had Slack opened constantly and it was always like, what's going on? How do we fix this? What's a, what's like your ETA to fix? Um, and it, it's, it's interesting because some people have great experiences and some don't, but there's also, I think there's a disconnect between people like me who are non-dev and devs. Like I have no idea how to code, nor would, nor, I mean, I would take the time to learn, but I just don't have the capacity to do so. So when we're working with people like that, like how do we bridge that gap? How do we understand that there truly is a disconnect and work together? I mean, I don't know. What's your experience doing that? That's tough. And I think that's where some, like, especially the company that we chose to to start with, um, there, there is that gap, you know, there is that, um, sort of that, that mentality of, okay, we need to change this and let's change it now to Mm -hmm. them saying, well, it's, it's not that easy. And in your mind, you're like, okay, you're just changing this. And, and so you're talking directly to them and and it's just, I don't think effective. Um, so what we found in my past experience too, 
but with this new development company, there's a whole team in between us. Yeah, you're, you're still involved in them, but even they have their whole team of the, de- the dev team has their whole team of the communicators to the, mm-hmm. to the other people in the organization, but then also on, on our end. So I think um, having sort of that, that, that manager, that project manager in between that can help facilitate that, those conversations and relationships and, you know, something that we say that the development team doesn't necessarily understand, they can translate it very well Mm -hmm. and and vice versa, but also just picking a team that can potentially balance both sides, right? You know, somebody that has a a dev leader that is always on the calls and and certainly understands your perspective very well and and equally uh, are, we understand theirs, um, and same with on our end, who can sort of balance both. Um, but it's tough. And I think it just takes patience and really understanding. That was the great thing when we had to sort of take on some of those roles, not any sort of coding mm-hmm. role. I, I know nothing about that. I'm not sure I ever will, um, nor want to, but, um, but yeah, it, it, again, you gain that respect and, you know, it's, it, I think that's so important. I, I wonder, I think it was like 15 years ago. I told Jared, I said, I think that it would be so cool if every single, um, person within a company switches roles. Right. So the owner of a company, and, and I know there's that boss boss show that's on right now, but I thought oh, it'd be yeah. so cool if everybody could actually understand everybody's position and work it a week, because I think they would come back and say more power to you. I'll never be mean to you again. I'll never mm-hmm. yell at you again or whatever. Cause they'll understand this stuff that it, what they go through on a daily basis. Right. Um, so, yeah. And that's kind of the great thing about building something like this and working from the ground floor up is you do learn those types of positions. So when you get to the CEO position, like Kristen, you you see things differently and kind of you have a, a bigger heart for what everybody's doing, you know, because yeah. you've been there, done that. Yeah. And that, to me, that's that's one of the most important things of having a successful company is understanding where everybody's coming from and being able to, uh, you know, converse with everybody and and uh, get your points across in the right way. You know, one of the really cool things that uh, was mentioned in this episode and then mentioned in the first episode was the emphasis of truth, right? And, and building a business off truth. And I think what, what we mean by that really is servant leadership. I mean, what Jared and Kristen are doing is servant leadership. And they're creating a platform that allows others uh, expansion into the market. And so in a previous series, you hear Bryce Jers talking about the same thing. And really, that's, that's a lot of what entrepreneurship is in my mind is going out and and serving those who may not be able to serve themselves or serving those, giving them access to resources that they didn't have before. I mean, those are true, uh, I guess, dedicated markets that we have. Um, And it's all about finding the need and finding and bringing value. So again, I want to say thank you to Kristen and Jared for sharing. I know we dived into a lot of really good information Next episode, we will discuss lessons that they've learned along their journey, uh, in addition to advice that they may have for you as you embark upon yours. So thank you again. Uh, You can find TasteBuddy on Instagram at TasteBuddyFoods. Look up TasteBuddy on LinkedIn. Likewise, you can find our podcast to stay up to date, uh, Baylor Venturing Out on Instagram, and you can search Venturing Out on LinkedIn to keep up with everything 
uh, venturing out. So again, we appreciate you. We thank you for listening and can't wait to see you next time. Bye.